0: So I'm going to continue with talks on Dharma and Kali Yuga. So this is the second talk. I did something of an, inter, uh, an overview last week. It's partially inspired by a book I think is uh, very powerful called Yuga, An Anatomy of Our Fate. Kali Yuga is an idea that I sometimes view my life and our reality through. To me, that's the use of ideas, is not to let them uh, take up residence in you and forget that they're living there, but to be aware when you're looking at life through them. And I think even Buddhism is such a thing and it's a, it's a lens with which to view life. So the Kali Yuga um, I think is an important idea and the basic idea is that for a long time now we we're well into a profound degradation of what it means to be human and a profoundly despiritualized and humanly compromised time in all dimensions. And the very fact that we have institutionalized religion in order to return us to a basic natural state of being is one evidence of that, that we even need such a thing as spiritual practice. So I want to read you a little section from the book and then launch into my main, my main topic tonight. This is, I think, the first section here. It's called Invitation. And this is by Marty Glass. Invitation. I think it has become appropriate for men and women of goodwill to give some thought to the future of humanity in the light of present conditions and trends. We may find that we are able, on the basis of provisional assessments of that future, to answer certain fundamental questions about how we should live our lives now. We ought to proceed with perfect serenity of spirit. We are capable of that. We ought to be completely honest. Reassurances do not alter reality. Hope does not guide us to the truth. Our our sympathies should be with the protagonist, but we can't allow ourselves to be swayed by them. All the more so because the actual identity of the protagonist that is, us, the people who are living in Kali Yuga, all the more so because the actual identity of the protagonist, and therefore our own as individuals, is not something we can take for granted, but is rather one of the questions we will be trying to answer. We are summoned to the heart of matters, to the roots and depths of things, to our own hearts, our own roots and depths. So to give a little sketch of some of the qualities of Kali Yuga, part of the point of talking about it is to understand that, that sense when sometimes you just wake up and read the paper or just watch people going about their lives or you have just that feeling that something is profoundly wrong with the world is accurate from this point of view. When you think the world is messed up, that's completely 100% accurate. It's not that your mind is messed up. The world is messed up, but the world and the mind are not two separate things. And so there's this constant co-creation. So Kali Yuga, for one thing, is the realm of clock time. It's the realm of history. It's very easy to forget that history is a very new thing. There was no idea of history only a couple thousand years ago. There was no idea that human beings were living at one point in time and there was this measured eras before and behind in the way that we measure them as if we are heading towards a future, hope, moving away from a past, nostalgia. Before clock time and before uh, modernity, time was thought to be cyclical. Reality was cyclical. Everything moved in cycles and each person played a role in the eternal recurrence of the different roles that one played. I'm making a generalization here, but. In Kali Yuga, we have a new alienation born of language. At some point, there was not a written word. The written word is relatively recent. There was a time where we did not map things conceptually to such a degree that we felt such a split from the world and lost intimacy as far as human beings' history are concerned, and here again, there's a reference to history, this is very new. The printing press is very new. Media is very new. There was no news all that long ago. Even news is new. And all of this leads to a particular kind of existential anxiety. There was a time when you didn't have to read the paper to find out what dangers were coming down the pipeline life had its uh, textures of danger, right? We're not saying that there was a utopia, but the sense of perpetual anxiety and threat and impending doom is an ambiance we live in and this is relatively new. There was always disease, there was always some kind of war, but even these things were understood differently. So this is sometimes called the the horizontal realm, the realm of time. The Buddha talked about it as the realm of becoming. The realm of becoming is stressful. The realm of becoming is the realm of past and future, of history. Mm-hmm. The horizontal realm is Kali Yuga. It's a particular place in that horizontal way of experiencing life, but it's always intersected with what we could call the vertical. We find this in Zen texts, sometimes called the upright or the vertical or the timeless dimension. That there's an always available and deepable timeless reality. That's the good news, right? So I want to um, talk about, I think here's what I titled my talk. It was Convenience, Consumer Culture, and Vow, Commitment, and Loyalty. And really what I'm exploring is how in Kali Yuga, vow, commitment, and loyalty are um, endangered and hard to sustain. So part of our era is that bonds of belonging have been destroyed. How many people here um, still attend the same church or temple that their family did? Raise your hand if you do that. Okay, that's very unusual. A hundred years ago, that would be very strange. Two hundred years ago, very very strange. How many people don't live in the same city as their mother and father? This is very, very odd and very, very strange, right? So bonds of belonging have been destroyed by all the consequences of industrial revolution and mechanization and so forth. And even the very notion of belonging to any uh, group, to any kind of cultural ancestral heritage is called into question. We're very uprooted and uprooted people. And even those who are in more, um, let's say, traditional societies, they're surrounded by this melu right, of uprootedness. And so that causes some sort of anxiety about, well, are we backwards? There's a pressure exerted even on, on the traditional to no longer be so. This can go different, this can go different ways, these, these, the bonds of belonging being destroyed. This is not entirely bad. For example, some traditional societies are so profoundly patriarchal, they would offend even, they would offend everybody in America, no matter where you fall on the political spectrum. They would be appalling. So... Uprooting from ancient tradition is not bad across the board, but what happens? Well, one thing that happens is there's more alienation, right? There's a nihilistic rootlessness. There's a negative no identity. There's not not the good sense of I don't know who I am, like we be fortunate to be touched by, to embody in Dharma practice. It's, I don't know who I am, and that's attended by an anxiety and a grasping for some kind of uh, stability there. This uprootedness could be a gateway into transcendent identity. There may be one advantage for us as modern practitioners. We don't quite have the weight of um, caste and um, traditional ways of being that for example the options that we have to express individuality and make our own choices are uncommon there's there is a particular kind of freedom that's available to us the freedom to not identify. And then, on one hand, we could also say that um, uprootedness creates an anxiety where there can be a negative ethnocentrism. People cling harder to identities, or harder in whatever domain. And we've seen all of all the wars and suffering that come from that. So we don't believe. In anything so much anymore. Another broad sweep. And convenience and consumer culture and entertainment culture lead to a mindset of channel flipping and people swiping. I was thinking of divorce and the benefits for women are profound, the ability to divorce without great stigma or even death. But divorce being easy also has another consequence in that we view every relationship as ultimately optional that commitment is actually no longer, um, well, what is what is commitment now? What is loyalty? When was the last time you even heard the word loyalty? It seems so archaic. That's indicative of Kali Yuga. I was laughing at myself because I'm trying to be loyal to um, one coffee roaster. Because I can just, there's so many interesting coffee roasters and I could order some new beans from wherever I want. And some of them offer loyalty points. And I thought, ah, loyalty points, that'll get me. But loyalty is seen as um, a sucker's game, in a way. Because the the in Kali Yuga, the consumer culture that we've had. We have a glut of choices. We have a burden of choices. And we have the fetish of novelty. That was um, one of Marty Glass's phrases I found in the book today. We have fetishized the new. Again, there didn't used to be the new. Think about that. The new is new. There's no such thing as the new. But The new means the mind is able to always think about the other option that could be a little bit better. And it corrodes any kind of loyalty in our lives. There could be a better city, girlfriend, Dharma teacher, movie on, record, job, religion. There could be a better. Why should I settle? There are 10,000 flavors. And so this kind of argument looks at uh, loyalty as a sucker's game. Loyalty is actually um, for fools. Fidelity, commitment. I'm using these words interchangeably. I haven't really unpacked what is really the difference uh, between them. There are differences, right? Commitment is something you do. It would probably flow, flow out of a sense of fidelity or loyalty. This is relevant um, for us because our practice will be marked by Kali Yuga for sure if we don't go a good distance with a lineage. If we don't go a good distance with a, uh, a teacher. For some period of time, we have to discard swiping and channel swiping mind, or else we're at the mercy of that consumer impulse, the fetish of novelty. The alchemical mix of spiritual practice in engaging with a tradition and the elements of a tradition, such as practice, teacher, community, means that the pleasant, the unpleasant, inspiration, deflation, empowerment and negative legacy, that burden is all part of the alchemical mix. You'd think you could remove some of the, the the bad bits and it will still work, but that's foolish. That's like saying you can have life without one half. But it sure seems like we can just mix and match and make the thing that suits me as the individual which is a new a brand new construction as far as human beings the individual with my uh, idiosyncrasies it sure seems like that's actually the kind of the smart thing to do why wouldn't i do that we could believe that something can be just one thing and then look for that thing that will remain that one thing that we want it to be like exciting stimulating challenging whatever but that's just a belief our basic our basic practice principle is impermanence right so it's interesting when our when our Commitments become distasteful, they're actually preaching the dharma to us very directly in some ways. We can be we're disloyal to the dharma when we change the channel. I'm gonna to try to flesh out different different sides of this, right? Kogun Zenji said something like, when one side is realized, the other side is dark. Whenever we we talk about something, you can only address one point at a time, and the other side is necessarily obscured. It's like, can you see this crystal? No? Well, I am holding a crystal. If you could see it, you would only see one facet. You have no idea what I'm seeing on the other side. And all things are, are like that. So is there anything that I or you believe in? Are there any principles, if you ask yourself, that you live by? modern life seems to be organized around basically um, survival then pleasure but it could be organized around principle survival and then maybe pleasure. And principle in a way is a similar idea to um, dharma. We think about dharma as um, the teachings of a, a Buddha but Dharma also means that which is always true or that which stands outside of the vicissitudes. Is there anything that you or I have fidelity to despite the vicissitudes of health, people, and culture? There probably is. I think this is an important question. In other words, no matter what happens as far as all of the different impermanences fluxing in our lives, is there something you're oriented around that it doesn't matter what else is going on, that's something that is actually solid in your life. Something beautiful about Buddha Dharma, if you go to the original texts, of course, they came out of India, but there's a way in which they're profoundly transcultural. They actually transcend the culture to a large degree, as if the vision, a mind that um, expands beyond culture and time, gives teachings that are beyond culture and time. Now, those are expressed in particular instances of culture and time, and therefore, for example, we say, well, but there's patriarchy in the Buddha's teaching or whatever other um, flaws we might be able to take up and examine. But nonetheless, the Dharma is profoundly timeless. That's why it can just move into a new culture, and we it resonates with the heart. So the Dharma does offer us principles that can't go out of fashion, or they are out of fashion, but they're never out of fashion. Virtue, uplifting each other through positivity, wisdom of seeing things clearly, love. Now when we think of loyalty, sometimes it seems that breaking commitments serves this. To be loyal to dharma doesn't just mean you stay somewhere and that's it. Or you don't make changes and that's final. Because sometimes wisdom sees actually it is time to change something and then the loyalty is to wisdom but sometimes staying in that which convenience says abandon is wisdom and love so this is a tricky this is a tricky thing if i reflect on myself i have i have different minds about my time at the monastery and my relationship to um, zen lineage and even to Buddhism sometimes, if I'm honest. I try to be a holistic thinker. I try to include all the different aspects of myself, the different lenses through which I see, because if I pretend I don't have something, but I do, it'll just get me later. So on one hand, I say, well, I spent 15 years living in a Zen monastery, and I was very, very committed. But another part of me says, that wasn't loyalty. Loyalty means you don't leave. Loyalty means you just stay and do whatever you are asked to do. It's tricky. So part of the question we have in... If we come across in ourselves a vacancy of principle or a vacancy of loyalty to anything, that vacancy is ready to be filled. It may be, uh, it may feel like a hollow space, but nonetheless, something could fill that hollow. So, in times of soul searching for me around this, I've come to a question like, is there a principle that is worth loyalty to me? Is there a longing for that which is worthy of loyalty? What are we about? In some ways, um, our current time is To be about not being about anything, everything is sarcasm, everything is irony, everything is um, uh, a quaint idea on a t-shirt. Loyalty and fidelity, we could see these as the application of concentration and equanimity which you all know are core to Buddha Dharma, to all spiritual practice, um, brought into like the realm of, of embodiment, in the realm of relationship. Loyalty is to be um, concentrated, uh, to abide without much distraction in that which matters, in that which is ours to tend to and to care for. The equanimity part means no matter what you're in relationship with, sometimes it'll irritate you and bore you, and sometimes it'll excite you. In a sense, then, um, The quality of loyalty is synonymous with just growing up. That's how I reflect on myself when I think about how it's so easy to want to withdraw at whatever level from relationships when they're not pleasurable or pleasant. That's an immaturity in myself. That's a lack of equanimity. I try to be consistent to have a daily fidelity to the principle of awakening. And so many of you show up week after week. And I know some people here have practiced um, in various ways for decades. And so this is manifest in your life. There is a, a fidelity, a loyalty to the principle of awakening. But as practitioners, we work this duality of everything is fine as it is and refinement we tend to want to fall on one side or the other so on the refinement side i'm not good enough i'm not dedicated enough i'm not practicing enough more and more and more someone's better the real practitioners out there etc that would be one-sidedly falling on the side of refinement and then everything is okay kind of just say, yeah everything's okay and we don't actually um, examine our practice or have the sense of evolving it, and then it stagnates. So we, we swim. The air we breathe is this Kali Yuga mind state. There are people who would not hesitate to buy a work of art created by an artificial intelligence because the human being is incidental to aesthetics. We're in the Kali Yuga. So loyalty is not is not celebrated, is not normalized, and is looked at as kind of odd. So if you undertake this, this contemplation, you could be aware of the cultural forces and voices and what you're up against as you reflect on this. And for me at least, that is a place of a compassion for myself. I think a point I'll keep returning to is that to do spiritual practice in the times we live in is exceedingly rare and therefore even more beautiful. The lotus in the mud. Because um, there's no pat on your back There's no tax write-off. There should be a tax write-off. Right? I think people who you know help the country through military service, for example, get tax write-offs, why shouldn't meditators? We might be holding the whole planet from spinning out of control and exploding into a black hole or something. I don't know. Anyways. So if there's any... Um, to summarize this as something you could you could take home and reflect on, it would be just to consider in your life already what do you have loyalty to. As you go through the various vicissitudes and challenges, what um, what do you not give up on? What or who do you not give up on, despite how you feel? Yeah. Okay, I got to the bottom of my notes, so I think that's all I wanted to say. I'd like to open it up for discussion if there's anything from y'all. Ed. may be a bit off topic but uh, I was curious how one does better hold the duality of refinement and everything being okay in some ways it depends on the lineage for example um the Rinzai lineage has this spirit of, nah, you don't have it wrong. Nah, you don't have it. (laughs) Nah, do better. And it's kind of like, um, a, a the joy of the joy of always working, the joy of wholeheartedly reaching towards that, which can't be reached. At its best, I think. Probably we have to make a lot of mistakes. And then we would need some help to see when we're making a mistake. I sometimes begin believing there are people who do spiritual practice and fall into let's say one of these sides or the other and spend um, decades going astray i don't know if that's true because i only know my own experience but i've heard other i've heard other teachers say such people exist so it is something to be careful of a deep faith would say that the Dharma is self-correcting yeah. For example, there's an idea in um, Jungian psychology and also in, in Buddhism that reality um, seeks to grow through us or somehow there is some principle that seeks to um, awaken despite us and therefore things like tragedies can happen or will happen if we stagnate too long. Like there, there is something actually woven into the universe that will disrupt our, our, um, our confused clutching. My personal example would be at one point I was really becoming like an arrogant young monk who thought I was really hot shit. And I thought that I was doing it right and lots of people were doing it wrong. And then I fell in love and ended up disrobing. Right? So that's Prajnaparamita, breaking my clinging, helping me let go of something that probably wasn't going to happen otherwise. So there's a mysterious, there's something mysterious about about all of this.